The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Reverend Jackie Fernandez. Welcome to Voices of Unity. I'm your host, Reverend Jackie Fernandez, and we are streaming from the tower at the sacred grounds of Unity Village for the fourth and final episode of our theme, A Matter of Words, in which we have explored one of our foundational unity teachings, that words have creative powers, power in our lives. I have joining us from uh, Johannesburg, South Africa, David Lewis Peart. Welcome, David. Hi, nice to speak to you again. Yes, so good to have you back. We had you on uh, during June for our Pride series, so I'm I'm so glad to have you back. David is a poet, playwright, and educator whose work explores grief, loss, and truth-telling. Formerly an ordained new thought, which we're going to hear more about the formerly part, ordained new thought metaphysical minister and ordained ministerial counselor, David was a co-founder of the Inner Spiritual Arts Community Sunset Service Toronto Fellowship, the interfaith bridge building ministry he began in 2012. I've had the pleasure of working with David and my video team here at Unity World Headquarters to create a video vignette, which we'll play the audio from here after the break. Um, And that was part of our annual theme series, When Humanity Many Stories. So thank you for doing that, David. So you want to check that out. It goes live on Facebook August 1st, so coming right up. And David, I've asked you to join this series. I wanted you to come back because there's something you said. You were the keynote at this year's Unity People's Convention. And when you said... You stop talking about things you knew nothing about. I was like, oh, yeah, we got to have him on this show to talk about a matter of words. So, I'm, you know, I want to hear what's what's happening with you right now. What are you doing in Johannesburg? Um, so I am doing an artist residency with an artist out here in South Africa by the name of Zanelli Moholi. They are a multimedium artist, but I had met them about 14 years ago in Toronto while they were completing their graduate studies. And uh, they stopped me on the street one day and, and asked to take my photo. And we ended up spending the afternoon and got to know one another. And uh, a couple months ago, I was featured in a documentary back in Toronto, um, a documentary by a filmmaker by the name of Philip Pike. And one of the images that they used in the documentary that uh, I was a part of was one of the photos that Zanelli had taken of me uh, 13 years ago. Wow. And I just reached out and said hello. Um, over the course of the last 13 years, Zanelli has had an amazing career that has had them traveling internationally, exhibiting some of their work. And so I just sent them a quick message, a quick email, and they responded in three minutes and asked for my number and uh, called me and asked me to come out to South Africa to do some writing. And I was a little taken aback, but uh, a month or so later, I got a, a contact from one of their assistants, and uh, a ticket was purchased, and I'm now here, and I have been for the last couple of weeks. That's amazing. Yeah, you you agreed to come onto the show, and you're like, and by the way, I'm on my way to South Africa. 
So I was like, hey, and he's still saying yes, so I really appreciate that. Um, So first I want to ask, what is the name of the documentary that you were featured in? Um, The documentary is called Our Dance of Revolution, uh, and it was by a filmmaker by the name of Philip Pike, who did a documentary on the last 40 years of uh, LGBT black activism in Toronto, Canada. And um, I was included in the documentary alongside some much, much, much (laughs) more interesting people um, who have been doing work in our city um, for quite some time, um, even before I I had been born. And so, yeah, I was, you know, I got included in that for some of the work that I had been involved in in the city when I was uh, somewhat younger. But yeah, it was a really great opportunity and um, I still am a little bit, shy about that because I'm like, uh, some of the folks that I was featured alongside are people that I had looked up to when I was a kid. Oh, I love so, it. So, you know, there's very much that sense of, I think you passed the wrong person. Uh, I <laughs> love know? it. So, you know, the people who, you know, groomed you in a way, right? Even if it was maybe from a distance, but people that you, uh, you know, were being influenced by and now you're you're right there with them in this documentary. Well, I'm going to have to look that up. Is it... Um, available like on iTunes or anything yet or is it still being screened I'm not sure where it's being distributed I know it was I'm not sure where it's being distributed now it premiered in in June and uh was doing some tours of some festivals so I'm not sure what the situation is but you can check online I believe there is a um an online uh website that has some information about the film and where it will be showed awesome but uh our dance of revolution by filmmaker Philip Pike Awesome. We'll check that out and I'll post it. I'll post it on Facebook when I find it. That's great. And so so then you have been invited to do this artist residency for writing. And um, that's, you know, something I really want to hear about, too, because, of course, we're talking about the power of words. And I know that um, based on previous discussion with you, that this um, identity of you as a playwright and poet is has been um, sort of a growing edge and, and somewhat of a new identity for you. Yeah, yeah, very, very new. It's been only the last couple of years that I've been more intentional about it, and I've been really given some great opportunities to sort of sharpen my pencil and really get uh, familiar with uh, a medium that I wasn't uh, immersed in or or trained in. Uh, My background, as you know, isn't Mm -hmm. as a writer, but um, it definitely felt like something that was my call the last little while. And I was given an opportunity to do a residency uh, a year ago, or rather two residencies a year ago with a, a theater company in Toronto called Obsidian Theater and another theater company called Buddies and Batons Theater, both really great uh, opportunities to really learn a craft that I wasn't too familiar with. So, yeah, a year later, we had uh, a staging of uh, a play that I had worked on alongside some great friends of mine, uh, including one of my best friends, um, through Buddies and Batons Theater, and that was called What's Done Must Come. And we had a showing of that in June as well, back in Toronto. And then in October of the year before that in Los Angeles. And then in uh, June, I had a showing of... Uh, I'm getting bored of myself talking about yeah. this. But, it, you know, long story made short, you know, I've, I've been learning a craft that is sort of new to me. Um, yeah. And Zanelli sort of extended this opportunity to, again, get some more time to getting familiar with with writing and, and getting some time to do that. 
Well, I love it, and it's certainly not a boring topic to me. I, you know, have experience in theater myself, and both of my children I've I've raised in the theater, and so they are both turning into fine actresses, and uh, they're just teenagers. Um, so I, you know, I certainly appreciate the art and the craft of playwriting and the whole process of theater and, and how powerful it can be in our lives. So, so you're not boring me, and I want to ask you some more about it because I'm curious, as, as a new playwright, um, well, I have a, a couple of curiosities. One, what the residencies are like for you. Like, what, what have you been learning? Are you, um, you know, being mentored by, by other playwrights, or is it more that you, you get to sort of try things out? And, you know, because that process, the writing is one thing, but then for, for plays, it's then when it gets in the hands of the actors – and the director, you know, and the lighting and all of that, it sort of takes on a life of its own. So I want to hear about that process. And um, and then also I want to hear if you find a theme has sort of developed or taken hold in you um, as you write. Um, okay. So what I think is offered through residencies, both uh, the residency with Obsidian and the other with Buddies, it's basically an opportunity to write, um, being supported by the theater company, um, small financial um, offering to, to help that process along. But sort of the meat of playwrights units or residency is um, sort of mentorship by uh, the in-house dramaturg. In the instance of Obsidian Theater, that was um, Maika Payne, a, a great young dramaturg out in Toronto. And through Buddies, um, Mel Haig, who is a, a quite well-known dramaturg and theater arts practitioner uh, in the city that I'm from. And they really sort of help uh, you um, and sort of, to use your word, give some bit of grooming around the work that, that you're creating and, mm-hmm. and guidance. Um, and, and that's more what I, I felt I, I needed. Like, essentially, you know, a lot of what my work is focused on is the process that I'm in, right? which is really exploring a couple of ideas, right? But mostly around stuff like shame um, and particularly for um, young people of color and, uh, and part of the LGBTI community, shame is a, is a topic that I think resonates for a lot of us. But yeah. uh, shame is one um, topic that I'm sort of digging into in my writing and my work, but also stuff around grief and loss and um and sort of the unsaid things that, that sort of end up permeating every aspect of your life, whether you uh, realize it or not, right. you know? And so both uh, the projects that I'm working on through those residencies were really personal to me. Uh, the Buddies and Bad Times uh, Theater, um, their work with us uh, and the group that I'm with, a collective called We Other Sons, a small group of uh, Black and other POC queer men that I'm friends with and colleagues with who sort of gathered together and decided to develop a, a piece around the idea of sex and shame. Oh, wow. And the fact that for so many uh, gay and bisexual men, sex is always so intertwined with our notions of shame. Um, and, uh, and so that project called What's Done Must Come, that theater piece in sort of really emerged out of the conversations that the group of us, the six of us, had sat down and had. Um, I'm working alongside a couple of other 
really smart guys. Um, Omar Rivero and Daniel Antonio Coca Herrera, the best friends. Roel Torres, friends since high school. Uh, Micah Edwards, an amazing uh, speaker and author and creator. And, um, and another young gentleman that I, I have a lot of respect for, Jeff Tanaka. And uh, Daniel Ellis, a theater uh, superstar back home in Canada, who's running off to the Carefest shortly in Trinidad. But uh, the group of us sort of got together and began having conversations. And those conversations um, were sort of pulled from, and our theater piece was developed. And we're still developing it. Mm-hmm. Well, those must have been some pretty powerful conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And how great to be able to work with people who, you know, you have friendships with, you know, and that just brings you right back to our theme of a power of words, you know, and to see what, what those conversations grow into and, and how you're tying, um, those ideas, sex, shame, grief, loss into your work. I think that's so powerful because as you say, it permeates all aspects of our life, either consciously or unconsciously, you know, so whether we know it or not, unconsciously. Yeah. Most, most oftentimes. Absolutely. And, you know, I think too, because I mean, who wants to lean into pain, you know, (laughs) you know, and yet, you know, what I know about that is that often becomes the path of our deepest healing and uh, awakening. So I appreciate that you are making that the topic of your work, because I know that sometimes, you know, seeing those ideas worked out through theater or film or music, um, poetry, you know, really can bring us to ourselves in those deeper ways. It's, it's a different kind of scripture. Right. Or maybe it's the same kind of scripture. You know, because that's, you know, our <laughs> sacred texts are, that's what people were doing. They were working their stuff out. You know, they're working out their uh, views of their relationships with each other, with their community, with their government, with their God. Um, so actually, I guess right. it's the same kind of scripture. I'm just going to correct myself on that. So I want to talk about what you said at convention. Um because mm, I, I love it. And your keynote, and you said, uh, yeah, not about the topic of convention, right? We're going to be rather unconventional here, David. Uh, but when you said, I've stopped talking, I stopped talking about things I know nothing about. I know nothing about peace. I only know what it means to desire peace. And, and you talked about that in context of leaving the work of ministry. So tell us about that. Um, yeah, you know, that keynote was a really, <laughs> I was hella nervous to do that keynote. And mostly, you know, for the reasons that, you know, you've now I'm familiar with, I no longer do that work, right? Yeah. Um, and so to be invited to a conference for ministers to talk about the fact that I no longer uh, am a minister and that I no longer believe in many of the things that I have for so long believed in and not only believed in privately, but talked about publicly, was really scary for me, you know? And I had many conversations with friends about the fact that I'm like, oh my God, these people made a mistake. I don't know why they're bringing me out here. (laughs) It was no mistake. um, Oh man, it was no mistake. But yeah, keep going. But it was a great opportunity, I think, for me to, to again, face some stuff around loss, like, you know, loss of faith and uh, back to what you had made mention of is, you know, I, I don't 
feel confident or comfortable uh, speaking to things that I don't know for sure, mm-hmm. you know. And for a long time, I think that that has really impacted me. You know, so much of my identity had been in speaking to particular things that I now no longer know to be true. And uh, it caused a lot of like loss and grief and and I stumbled and continued to stumble, uh, you know, along the way without some of those anchors in my life. Mm-hmm. But there, as I spoke about at the keynote, like there's also this amazing opportunity that comes in the not knowing, right? And in the shutting up. Yes. And yeah. And so a lot of that has poured into my writing work and into the kind of conversations that I'm having with folks one-on-one. Where I'm like, what does it mean to be alive <laughs> and not have the answers and be a mess and sometimes be a hypocrite and to disappoint yourself or disappoint others or to fall in love and reconnect or fall out of love. And it's been interesting for me to like do that journey of experiencing rather than um, pulpiting. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I think that, you know, the vocation of ministry can lead some people to um, to buy into the notion because the general public will, you know, in some ways put this on, you know, a minister that you have the answers. And so it's easy to sort of buy into that. Well, you know, you're the expert, right? Therefore, you should have all the answers. And I think for me as a minister, one of the most powerful sort of, I don't know if it's an attitude or just um, belief to always return to is that I, you know, I, I just know what I know for today. And, and it, I'm not even sure I know it, but I like to use the phrase an idea I'm working with. And part of that is because I hope that I am growing and expanding my understanding, deepening my understanding of life, love, loss, everything, God. Um, so if you talk to me in, in two months or a year or 10 years, I you know, don't hold me accountable for what I said today or yesterday or last week or last month, because I don't know that that will you know, be my understanding or my belief even. Um, so I think it can be... Um, I don't know, humbling is kind of a, a word that you said, like you weren't sure you were the right person for to speak to the body of ministers. And, and I'm over here like, oh, you were the perfect person. Because to bring that reminder that, you know, another option, as you made the choice, like I, I'm going to get out of the pulpit because I'm going to stop talking about things I know nothing about. Well, you're you're still talking you know, in a different way, your ministry has transformed to to the stage, you know, to to the writing and that process, as you said, of shutting up. Um, uh, just a powerful process, giving that space for reflection and really coming to, I don't know, where the rubber meets the road. For sure. It's easy to it's easy to bring a gift wrapped you know, with a perfectly tied bow to, to a Sunday experience or Wednesday night or whatever. Um, but when we do it honestly, it's, it's a lot messier. Yeah. I think the most, um, and I, I maybe use the word wrongly, but exciting. I think I was speaking to someone the other day and they were asking me like, what, what am I talking about? Like what gets me excited? 
And one of the things that I realize is still true to this day, even though I uh, tend not to do that kind of work anymore, is I love hearing people's stories, right? And I love hearing the truth about where people are at. Um, And I think there's like a a desire, particularly within communities that um, call themselves spiritual or religious, for opportunities to tell the stories that are hard, you know? Yes. And you spoke about this idea of like these uh, Sunday or Wednesday nights or Friday, depending on your faith tradition, uh, gift wrapped sort of package, sort of um, shares or sermons that sort of don't take into account that there are six other days in the week. (laughs) And in those other six days that there are a lot of things that go on for people. Um, But people are hungry for a space and a place to be able to tell the stories that hurt. Right, yes. or the stories that aren't tidy, or the stories that might not always uh, set us in, in the best of lights. Right? Yes. Um, I know that Catholicism is, is falling out of, of favor in the last little while, but you know, one of the things that I think that those Catholic, uh, our Catholic peers did and do so well is this idea of confession. Ah, oh, right? yes. Creating place and space for people to just unburden. Yes. You know. Um, and this idea of unburdening, and of course the miracle talks about is atonement, this at one minute, this opportunity to sort of just get back into alignment with yourself by unburdening yourself of all the things that are no longer true for you, or that um, in many instances, you know, I was uh, watching uh, a podcast or listening to a podcast earlier this week, and it was talking about like the weight, the weight of the, the masks that so many of us have to or have told ourselves that we've had to or others have told us that we have to wear mm-hmm. and how so much of what we see in the world is dysfunction, disorder, and all these other sorts of things, including within church community or spiritual community or religious community, is because we're all buckling under the weight of these ideas that aren't true, right? Yes. They might be tradition, they might be culture, <laughs> they might be whatever, yeah. but they're not true. And people like me and you and everybody else, I think, so freaking need a space and place. And sometimes that's people, right? And that's why relationships are so important. Right. And that's why so many of us cling to our, our partnerships with others, because maybe our partner is the only other person that's able to see us sans mask, you know? But there needed to be, and there needs to be more places where we always can just take down that, that, that mask. I was talking to a, someone uh, yesterday, uh, someone that I, I think is a, a really great guy, and um, uh, in the conversation he said to me, he goes, when I first met you, you were so zen. You sort of, you sort of almost had this zen energy to you. And now that we're friends, you're cussing like a sailor, and <laughs> you know, you're telling about all kind, you know, whatever, you're passing gas or whatever. <laughs> and I said, but that's me too. Yes. Right? Like, that's yes. me too. And he's like, yeah, I know. And it makes it makes one feel comfortable then to be the fullness of yourself in that moment, right? Yes. And it's just about courage to like stand in your shit. Yes. Part of my yes French. Sorry. No, that's fine. But to stand that's in fine the stuff, you know. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, so we got to stand in the muck and the mire, and it's because it's honest, and and that's you know that sometimes I mean we hope that it could be in our home space, in our family space, in our relationships where we can experience that kind of honesty and tell our story and be like, look, this is what's, this is what's up for me right now. Or this is, 
you know, all is not well. I mean, we can, you know, but if we can bring that kind of honesty to our spiritual community, how much, you know, more meaningful is the spiritual path and experiencing that in community um, to each other. And they're, you know, even just like putting on your Sunday best, going to church, you know, I mean, even just that, that idea has permeated the consciousness and, and everything that we think we should be when we show up in spiritual community to our detriment. So if we can unpack that, like you're saying, and, and come together and, and be the fullness of who we are, um, you know, just how people are hungry for that. I think people are starving for it. For sure. So talking about... Why do you... Oh, go ahead. Why do you do what you do? Why do I do what I do? I... Yeah. I think that, it, you know, I, okay, I ask myself that question all the time. But in terms of ministry, in terms of ministry, I feel like since I was a child, I I have this optimism. And some might call it faith, and, and in a way it is faith, but I experience it as optimism that the, the purest form of, of life experienced in connection with with well I'll use the word God but goodness um, that divine that spiritual energy that we are always trying to name is possible at every turn so I want to do the work of helping others to come to themselves in that way not in my way but to find that which means so in, in my adult mind and, and to this conversation, coming into the fullness of honesty of who I am, where I am right now, and how can I find my way back to that purest form of being? So to the why, I feel like I hold that optimism and not, not everyone does. So if I can breathe that optimism into a space... That's why I do the work. Okay. That music means we're on break um, here in a minute, but we're going to come back and, and, and we're going to talk more about all of this. So thank you, David. And we will be right back. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, Please make your donation today by going to UnityOnlineRadio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Wisdom Moment with Eric Butterworth. So we're always into this thing called time. It's very hard 
to free ourselves from the pressure and the limitations and the boundary lines which time sets down. So that in partial experience, in human consciousness, we have what we call deadlines, which are an abomination in human experience. But in the whole of things, we have only alive lines. We live in eternity, and time is always now. In the eternal of you, there is a completed whole, there's a finished kingdom, and all that you do and seek to do is always complete in infinite mind. And as we say, it can be done in a twinkling of a second, or it can be done in hours, it can be done in days, or we can stew and fret about it all of our lives. In God, it is now done. To hear more talks from Eric Butterworth, visit truthunity.net. Ready to roll the dice? Check out the new Intention Dice from Unity. Five dice, different colors, each with words that can prompt you to set an intention for the day, create an affirmation, or journal your thoughts. Roll the green die for abundance and see what comes up. Enriched, worthy, generous. Blue for health. Energetic, whole, radiant. Five dice, limitless possibilities for your life. Find them at unity.org dice. Discover Unity Village, and you'll find a peaceful oasis just 15 miles from downtown Kansas City, Missouri. If you're doing business in the area or looking for the perfect place for your retreat or conference, check out all that Unity Village has to offer. With 1,200 wooded acres, a beautiful nature trail, award-winning rose garden, golf course, and newly redesigned hotel and conference center, Unity Village has everything you need for that perfect event. Go to unityvillage.org to find out more. Experience Divine Wisdom every Monday at 3 p.m. Central, 4 Eastern with Lisa Williams. A spiritual teacher, author, and psychic medium, Lisa finds joy in helping those that are grieving by connecting to their loved ones on the other side. Lisa can also tap into your life contract to help you find the perfect career, as well as help you find your true soulmate. Call in and join the show live or listen later on demand right here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Reverend Jackie Fernandez. All right, we are back with David Lewis Peart. And uh, David, you just asked me a really great question of why I do what I do. And I answered it, you know, vocationally, like in my work in ministry. Um, but I want to take it um, also, you know, my actual Monday through Thursday work here at Unity World Headquarters is Director of Multimedia Services. And um, there, there's a lot alive for me around that work. Um, and... You were part of that. Unfortunately, because of the schedule of convention, I wasn't in the room, but Andy, um, who's one of my video producers here, um, was in the room with you. And that that moment, and I've got the audio, Lewis has it queued up, um, of being able to be with someone. You know, we have opportunity to speak to a lot of different people, and we didn't plan that. Like, I basically said to you, um, we have this theme, annual, you know, annual theme, One Humanity, Many Stories, the theme of being present. And I kind of gave you like in passing, like a couple of nuggets of, you know, just prompts, but I don't even know if you took them in all the way. And then, and then we sit, 
you know, with you and a camera and, you know, and a producer and ask some questions and just allow that space that we're talking about of telling a story. Um, so why do I do that? is because that, again, is where the rubber meets the road. When we listen to each other, when we have that space, you know, much like theater, filmmaking, art, poetry, can bring us out of the preparedness that we think we achieve by studying anything at all. It, it takes us out of that and just like, okay, but what's real? What's happening here in the world? what's happening inside this human being and sharing those stories. And then we find ourselves and ultimately we find God. The story that I tell about making a big old fool of myself um, in a very public way, one afternoon getting, you know, blasted drunk after not really being present to my experience of grief and loss and, and managing that and making some choices that weren't helpful for me or for others. And sometimes in, in spiritual communities, we resist the moment if it's, if it's messy or if it's ugly, right? We spiritualize everything. We highbrow everything. It's like, no, actually, I feel completely ashamed. I was a drunken fool. I ruined everything. I lost everything. I lost my partner. I lost my friends. I made a fool of myself. And I feel horrible. And this too shall pass. And so once you get into observation, you begin to realize that all things, including the hard stuff, soften and move. And so that's the beautiful thing about developing a practice uh, of meditation or of observation where you just simply go, notice. That's something I hold on to. That was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, David, for offering that for our communities. And I want to hear about what happened that day. Um, yeah, so I'm not going to uh, go too much into it again, okay. but long story made short. Um, yeah, I, I was really unconscious, uh, one afternoon and, and made some just really crap decisions for myself and, and for those that I cared about and, and it sort of, uh, really rocked me. And, uh, you know, like when you get a moment where you sort of have to come face to face with, with parts of who you are that you had never really given attention to or, and, uh, and realize that there, there's still stuff that you gotta, you've got to attend to, you know? And for all of the sort of hurt and upset and embarrassment and, um, disrespect of that that afternoon you know what it really also provided was an opportunity for me to to come face to face with myself you know and I'm still doing that you know it's not a an end process for me or it's a it's a work in progress but uh my practice of meditation was one of the tools that I sort of drew on um in the aftermath of of my own mess to sort of just look, you know, just notice. And sometimes that noticing was just noticing how sad I felt or how ashamed I felt um, and sit in that, you know, not try to fix it, right. 
um, just sit with it. Nah, and nah. to hear from others how, you know, I impacted them, you know, and to just sit with that. And, um, and it was interesting, you know, there was, um, and sometimes there are some moments where in the sitting, you know, you sort of almost feel like overwhelmed by it, you know? Yeah. Like you sit with shame or guilt or sadness for long enough, sometimes you literally feel like you can drown. You know, yes. but you don't, <laughs> you know, and that was sort of the thing that I have been in process of sort of discovering as I've been sitting in uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of my upset and is that it feels like you're going to drown. And some days you feel like it's going to finish you, but it, it doesn't, you know, and not only that it doesn't, but that, you know, and I spoke about this a bit in the, the edit that you all um, offered up, but, you know, the reminder that, that being present uh, and, and observing our states, my states, is what you recognize is that no state is static, right. <laughs> you know, right. that no state is static, like no state stays exactly as it is. And, you know, like even this is a, a very small example, you know, I was in conversation again with uh, someone that I have come to know while I've been here and I was talking about uh, the end of my, my last relationship and, and the end of my last relationship was very much informed by some of the unconsciousness of, of my behavior a few years back. And uh, I was saying to this person that, you know, there's almost been a, a turning off of certain things within me, like you know, at, at the end of a relationship, you know, you sort of go through that grief and loss process and, and sometimes you're like, wow, like, you literally feel the absence of love in your life, right? And you're almost going in a bit of a shutdown sometimes, you know? Yeah. And I was in conversation with someone uh, a couple of days back and we were just laughing and talking and I had this recognition that <laughs> just for that moment in that conversation, I felt something. And it had been so long since I had felt that, that feeling. And it was a reminder again, too, that even in the grief and loss of an end, that that isn't forever. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I even, you know, come to that realization that, you know, as an example, my last relationship, my relationship before that, I had been married, you know, and I had thought that that was the be all and the end all. Mm -hmm. And when it had come to an end, I, I literally thought that that was the be all and the end all to all experience of love. Yeah. Until I met the person that, you know, I ended up sharing four years of my life with. And so it's always this reminder that, like, everything passes, you know, the good, the bad, and the in-between. And, and we mourn the good, right, when it passes. Mm -hmm. But that there's also this, like, gift in the fact that even the bad crap passes, you know, right. like, even that stuff passes, too. And you forget it when you're in the when you're in it, right? Yeah. You're like, I never will feel light again. And then the morning comes. And in fact, that's funny because Sunset Service, you know, the, the ministry that I, I had been a part of for so long, you know, in the in the story that we tell about about even why Sunset Service, that's part of why we we chose that name, you know, this idea that you know, a long, long, long time ago. People used to believe that when the sun set, that it, it wouldn't come back. 
Right. And there were whole ideas that people had about the absence of, of the sun, right? And every morning, every morning, the sun returns. Yeah. And it's like all of life and all of nature is, is, is this reminder that no matter how good, bad, or anything, that there will always be another thing, you know? And so that's not to make light or trite of, you know, some of the, the ways in which I, I think I hurt others and myself and, you know. No, not at all. And I think what you're not, talking you know, about, like there's, you're offering that optimism, you know, that I was talking about. Like, is it doesn't diminish the experience of those darkest days by saying th- th- this too shall pass, that it's not static, it's not permanent, this isn't the way it's going to be forever. But acknowledging, one, that it feels that way when we're there. And I think especially in New Thought, we have this aversion to um, to shame and to to feeling that because, oh, if you wallow in it, your New Thoughts guilt, create your fear, reality. Sadness, sickness. All of that, insecurity, everything, like, doubt, all of I that stuff. I love New Thought. I love New Thought. I, I think of all of the spiritual traditions, I think that New Thought, Christianity, New Thought, teachings, have so much to offer. Yes. Right? Yes. And goodness gracious, we are so high on our supply of positivity that we actually are delusional in our aversion to anything that looks like hurt, sadness, grief, loss, pain, guilt, shame. Like it's it's this perma smile that we've got plastered on our face. Mm-hmm. And it's unhealthy and it's unhelpful because the reality is is and, and we talked earlier about this even idea of like this too shall pass. Like the reminder that all things pass. Right. Right? That that actually this this isn't just a rule for the bad things or the hard things or the sad things, but all things. That the supreme law of the universe is change. Yeah. And that, that to get in true integrity and alignment with with the law of, of, of the universe is to be able to sit with that that everything is is, is subject to shift. You know, including, and, uh, including and that Buddhism, I think it's such a wise teaching. Yeah, including that smile that's plastered on your face, right? Inclu- and and that our 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 attempt to hold on to the smile, right? Mm-hmm. Our attempt to hold on to the good stuff mm-hmm. killed our ability to experience the the good stuff in the future, right? Like, right. I think about it like if you're clinging so tightly to a concept or an idea of, of goodness and positivity or whatever, you're cutting off your, your flow to everything. Not only, not only are you cutting off the possibility of experiencing grief, loss, sadness, shame, guilt, or all the other sort of emotions that we don't like, but when you shut off one, you shut them all off. Right. Right? Yes. Like, we're made to feel, and <laughs> not just one thing. <laughs> and so when we shut down and shut off and numb, and there's amazing work that's being done talking about that. Uh, a doctor from Vancouver in Canada, uh, Gabor Mate, he talks a lot about this. And he talks about the experience that we, um, that we have in this world around addictions, as one example. Mm-hmm. And this model that we have focused on around medicalizing addiction, realizes that actually addiction is just our way of, many of us who've experienced trauma and grief and loss and pain, of numbing ourselves against those things but in the numbing of ourselves against those experiences those past experiences those histories of trauma sadness we've lost 
that you actually then deaden yourself to every other experience, you know? Yeah, which include so, compassion, I, I forgiveness, grace, love, Everything. joy, Everything. all of those, you want all love? Of those things. You want love? You've got to experience pain. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. You want joy? You've got to be willing to explore grief and loss and sadness. You can't have one without the other, right? Or you're just... Right. Or you're just, you're just checked out. Yeah. So we, you're numbed out. Yeah. We have a question um, from Facebook um, asking how difficult this, and this is to you, David, how difficult was it to find a support system through all that you went through? Was it family? Was it church? Was it uh, other organizations? Um, you know, it's, <laughs> so shortly after my, you know, sort of, drunken breakdown and the dissolution of a lot of relationships that I cared about, I got invited to, to do a, a Vipassana meditation retreat, an 11-day silent meditation retreat in the middle of nowhere. And uh, it really was that, that time away that sort of had me begin to unpack a lot of the stuff that I uh, saw show up in, in ways that were so um, hurtful for me and for others. And, uh, and shortly after returning back from that experience, um, and if anyone hasn't heard of the Vipassana meditation retreats that are pretty much global, please Google, Google search, find yourself a Vipassana retreat. They're, they're free. Um, they're amazing. They're life-changing. But I ended up coming home from that experience and realized this can't go on, right? Like, it's not just about... Uh, my relationship to alcohol is actually just about my relationship with myself. And, uh, and I signed up for a, a group, uh, a counseling group and a, a grief group, and began to sort of unpack some stuff that I, I hadn't really attended to for some time. And, uh, and it was in that, that grief group that I found some uh, community, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you talked earlier about, you know, numbing and, and being numb. And one of the things that sort of uh, woke up for me when I was uh, in that group was um, how much I had checked out, you know. I was listening to a story of uh, another person in that group, uh, a mother who'd lost her child, and, you know, she shared how walking through the city you know, the city for her that had once felt so safe and so just now felt so foreign. And I remember having this moment sitting in the group and going, that's it. That's what I've been feeling these past couple of years, you know? Like, I, I, like I'm a foreigner in my own land, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And, and, and a stranger in my own self. And, uh, and my delusional sort of attempt to stay chipper and cheerful and together and respectable and all these other sorts of things had sort of, you know, it was unsustainable. It, it was only a matter of time that, that my running from and hiding from hurt and pain and like would all come back to get me. You know, like, there's only so long that you can hide from yourself. Wherever you go, there you are. Right. 
and the, 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 the unfortunate and also beautiful thing about falling on your bloody face is that from the ground, now you can look up, you know? And you can begin to take things in in a new way that you hadn't been before. You've been hiding from the dirt, and then the dirt comes to you. And not only does it come to you, but it goes in your mouth. <laughs> You know, in your eyes, it's in your eyes, it's up your nose. It's, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's ruined the good haircut. And so, yeah. And, and here I am in South Africa and, and, you know, again, here I still am, right? Like mm-hmm. I am still here. And there are some days and this beautiful, amazing gift giving uh, opportunity that I've been afforded through Maholi. But some days my stuff shows up here too. And sadness shows up here too, and loneliness shows up here too. Yeah. But you know, I sit with it. I sit with it. And um, and God is in the dirt. Yes. God is in the dirt. Yes. Whatever that means, you know. I don't know anything about God anymore, but but I do know that if there's anywhere that God is, if there's anywhere that goodness is, if there's anywhere that like wisdom is, it's not in the like antiseptic like whitewashed bullcrap, right? Right. It's in the like mess of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that's why I sort of was interested in why do you do what you do? Because yeah. I think a lot of us who have chosen paths where we're uh, attempting to help other people or like be there for other people, if we were really honest, there's something else that we're looking for, you know? You well, know, I, I, I know for myself, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, no, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I, you know, it's a, a huge piece of it. In order to do the work of being present to others, you've got to do your own. And so, you know, the, sort of that, that commitment to being willing to sit with my own stuff because I cannot show up honestly for anyone else. If I have, yeah, and it's not, and it's not like yeah. I don't really buy into the like you can only love other people if you love yourself deep. I don't. I think love is greater <laughs> than that. I can actually love other people even better than I love myself, and maybe I can learn from that, you know, and then turn and turn that around. But I do believe that if I'm not present to my own everything, dirt, you know, shiny rocks, beautiful waterfalls, you know, filth. Um, the, the deepest caves, if I'm not present to that, I cannot show up for anyone else, honestly, in that. How how could I? How could I sit with someone mm. on their darkest day when I'm not willing to face my own? My own. Yeah. I, when, I was, when I was still doing, you know, more sort of spiritual work and ministry work, I recall so often having a really hard time being around sad, lonely, dysfunctional people. Yeah. Isn't that, like, absolutely insane mm-hmm. that I, I, I really struggled? You know, I was, I was good at um, I was good at silver linings and motivation, and I, I, was really, I, I was really challenged by sitting with people who were going through real stuff, you know? And uh, I remember one time uh, one of my friends who's a... a Interestingly enough, the therapist, you know, sort of called me out on that. She's like, for you, everything is rainbows, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and this, this idea that, that goodness is all around it. And it's almost pathological, your inability to look at the fact that there's actually a lot of pain, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. 
you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I think that that sometimes is, you know, how we don't see what we don't see, you know? Like, my aversion to people's sadness and pain and stuckness was, was my own fear it was about a mirror. that within myself. Yeah, it was a mirror for you. And you didn't like it. You know? And so, <laughs> no. Yeah. And so now, I've, I've, you know, be careful. What, now I've been given it in abundance, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like, <laughs> well, and, and that's... Now I think you, I'm better able. Yeah, yeah. Well, the art of theater, I was going to say, is yeah, yeah. That, that that mirror, that premise, the whole premise is that it's a mirror, you know. And so now you're, you know, you're working in, in a different way with that, with bringing that forward. And I, I have no doubt, I mean, just from what I've witnessed, you know, from you through conversation and through, you know, hearing your keynote and just being in your presence in those ways that um, you have done that work that has prepared you for this. And so I'm delighted. Mm. I'm delighted to see what what the fruits of your labor are. I'm just trying to survive. Yeah, right? Aren't we all, though? Aren't we all? No, like, let's be, like, because then, you know, because then that's the other, like, tidy, you know, Sunday sermon thing that people want to hear, right? It's like, you know, you started from the bottom, now we're here. No, I, I don't know about that <laughs> like, so, so, like, every day i'm just trying to like get through right I'm, yes. I'm just trying to like be better i'm just trying to like do better speak with integrity i act yes. from a place of like decency and just walk in in, in honesty but That's every it. day is like, honesty literally just trying to freaking survive, right? So yep. there's no grand goal, like, I'm trying to shift the world, like, I don't have some master plan to, like, you know, heal, whatever. Like, there's no kumbaya there, right? It's just, right. today I just need to be here. You know, yes. just be too, like, uh, I love it. Yeah. I thank you so much for your honesty and authenticity. It's uh, been wonderful chatting with you. Um, I, you know, hope to have you back. I'd love to check in with you from time to time. And, um, Please do. you know, because again, you know, I, I don't want to be held to what I think or believe or ex- I'm experiencing today. I don't want right. that to be like the forever experience. So I'd love for the listeners to have, you know, to have more of you and, and to let's, let's just see, you know, what happens, what's next, you know, South Africa won't be forever. Right. Mm-hmm. So what'll be next right. for that? So I look forward to that and thank you for being here today. This is the final Thank series. You for your patience and love. Oh, yes, yes, it's genuine. I feel it. I, I just, I adore you. I adore you. Yeah. So this is the last uh, episode in the series, a matter of words. And next week, I'll be starting a, a month on healing, and uh, we'll be starting August Tuesday, August sixth, and which is Myrtle Fillmore's birthday. She's a Unity co-founder, and I'll have Reverend Ann, Tam- Ann Tabor from Unity of Arlington will be on with me. She's got this phrase called "Put a Myrtle on it," and uh, she uses that in terms of healing and put a mur- myrtle on it. And so we're going to be talking about um, some of Unity's foundational teachings about healing, and then we're going to get more more deeply into the mess of it. And because um, we wouldn't need healing if we didn't have the opposite of what we think healed means, right? So that will be a month of um, profound conversations and uh, deep reflection and searching. And, you know, I want to bring us back to, David, you talked about silence and, you know, and the, the process of shutting up. And I'm reminded of Rumi's 
um, quote of you know, silence is the language of God. All else is poor translation. And you, you touched on that, that being part of your healing process, right? The silence where you were sitting with yourself in your emotions, in your feelings, and also with other people's ideas of you and how people had been impacted by you. I think that's really profound to, to be able to be present with that. And how do you understand that as the language of God? That's a question. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm definitely trying to find out. I love it. And we're going to end on that. There's the music. And I love that you just, we just ending on with, I don't know. Right. Because we're going to stop talking about the things we know nothing about. Ah, that was perfect. That was not scripted. Thank you, David, for being present. Thank for you, being Rick. present. All right. And that's it for today. All the best. Voices of Unity. All the best to you. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Mediumship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.